Blog Talk Radio. It's time to give the old cows and goats a rest. They're tired. Camels are known for their stamina. If they can trudge through a hot desert for months, they can easily boost your energy and nutrition. Desert Farms, a camel milk company based in California, sells organic camel milk. That's right, all natural milk from a camel. Case studies have shown that camel milk is effective in improving verbal skills, gut pathogens, and calming behavior in children with autism. Specific improvements seen with camel's milk are improved attention span, increased vocabulary, improved motor skills, improved speech patterns, improvement with food allergies and gut issues such as diarrhea and bloating, improved sleep patterns, increased interactions with others, reduction in seizures, and less severe skin rashes and eczema. As a general rule, start with one ounce two times per day on an empty stomach and gradually build up to a dosage of eight ounces total per day. Coffee Clatch listeners get 20% off your first order. Visit DesertFarms.com and use coupon code COFFEE, all caps, at checkout. Good evening. My name is Dr. Richard Selznick, and I want to welcome you to School Struggles. I am proud to be a part of the Coffee Clutch team. On School Struggles, we talk about a range of topics, including learning disabilities, dyslexia, special education, ADHD, and a whole host of other interesting topics that affect your child. I am a child psychologist and, and the director of the Cooper Learning Center, which is part of the Department of Pediatrics, Cooper University Healthcare, located in Voorhees, New Jersey, which is outside of the Philadelphia area. I am the author of The Shutdown Learner, Helping Your Academically Discouraged Child, School Struggles, and the, my latest book was Dyslexia Screening Essential Concepts for Schools and Parents. These are all available on Amazon or Barnes and & Nobles, and you can learn more about the books and my stuff at www.shutdownlearner.com. That site's loaded with blogs and a lot of great information for parents, and you can follow me on Twitter at, at Dr. Sells, that's e, the at sign, D-R-S-E-L-Z, and on Facebook by joining the Shutdown Learner community page. And I'm excited to welcome Dr. Michael Bradley to our show. We're going to be talking about teens in the 21st century. So welcome, Michael. Hi, Rich. Hi, Mike. So I'm going to read, he has a fun bio that I'm going to read most of it here from his book. Uh, Dr. Michael Bradley grew up in Philadelphia, where, as he says, he barely survived his own adolescence. <laughs> and like so many teens, his path to his passion found many detours. And join the club, Michael. I'm, I'm with you. He was an officer in the U.S. Army, a disc jockey, and a law school student before fate landed him at a job working with teenagers, a job he never dreamed he'd love. That experience, experience caused him to switch his studies to psychology, eventually earning his doctorate from Temple University. Michael, you could have gone anywhere, but you chose Temple. Absolutely. That's an old, a plug from the old days. In the 30 <laughs> years since, Dr. Michael, Dr. Mike has worked with all kinds of teens in all kinds of places, including schools, prisons, and community programs. In addition to being a licensed clinical psychologist, Dr. Bradley holds a specialized certification in the treatment of substance abuse disorders and is a diplomate 
and fellow of the American Board of Forensic Examiners. His publications include, Yes, Your Teen is Crazy, Loving Your Kid Without Losing Your Mind, and the other public, another one is, Yes, Your Parents Are Crazy, A Teen Survival Guide, and there's uh, The Heart and Soul of the Next Generation, and the book that's in front of me, which is a great book I would recommend anyone listening who's concerned about their teens to get this one as well as the others, called When Things Get Crazy with Your Teen, The Why, The How, and What to Do Now. So welcome. Thanks, Rich. Um, to, we're, you know, we don't, we're going to kick around uh, talking about teens, obviously, and what, a question I have, which, you know, we in, in my personal life this comes up, where I talk to friends of mine, and people have all kinds of opinions, and remember the talking headline, same as it ever was? Mm-hmm. Um, is it the same as it ever was? I mean, I have a sneaking suspicion, and I think that maybe adults always feel this way, but it seems like there are things that are the same, but there may be things that are kind of different. What's your What's your sense of things, just to kick this off. I, I think you nailed it. There are some things that are the same, but there are some things that are radically different. Historically, you know, one, the prior generation always complains about the upcoming one, you know, having no respect or morals or ambition and so forth. So that, that goes back literally thousands of years. Yeah, But it's true. now we've got some data that suggests that over the past 50 years, the last five decades, Things have changed radically uh, for teenagers in in ways that uh, worry us a lot. Those of us in the business, we're kind of on new ground with the the whole concept of adolescence. We're not sure where it's going to go. Could you? I mean, I would have my opinions. I'd rather, you know, and you know, we can kick back back and forth on this. What are some that you say? What are some of the big changes that you're seeing, or that the research is telling us that are that are really concerning? Well, the the stunner was that we came up with some good hard data um, comparing um, kids in today's teenagers with those from 50 years ago. And when we look at the the, the risk factors and uh, numbers having to do with pathology, it it really is a little scary. Um, For example, anxiety and depression among adolescents is up 500%, 4 to 500%. 500%. Yes, sir, and um, uh, and those are reliable data. Um, somebody, I hate her because she's so smart, got the bright idea of, <laughs> of pulling out all the archived uh, tests, the MMPIs and so forth, yeah. that we use to diagnose. So it, it's not just that we're sensitized to looking for this, and it's not that you know we namby-pamby these kids. The, the hard data, you know, the computers, in essence, are saying, yeah, in fact, there is an epidemic of anxiety and depression. And, and the other, you know, pun intended, killer statistic, uh, suicide behavior mm-hmm. in that same 50 years has also increased four to 500 percent. In 1978, uh, I'm sorry, in 1952, when we first started to collect suicide data reliably, the general population has experienced a 78 percent increase in suicide over the 50 years, which alone is like, you know, what's that? For mm-hmm. teenagers and young adults, that rate is up four to five hundred percent and has stayed there uh, over the past ten years. So something is very different with this culture, and it is kicking the heck out of our kids. So you, uh, I really do agree with you. I mean, it's hard to argue with the data, but I also see it in my own 
interaction with kids, and it's it's in my gut on this as well. So, what do you what do you attribute to be some of the causes, you know, uh, societally, educationally? Uh, what are you seeing underneath this? Well, you know, of course, no one knows definitively, but if you're asking my particular view, mm-hmm. it's it's a perfect storm sort of a thing. One, you know, we, we have a lot of data about the teenage brain, that yeah. uh, our insights into the teen brain are new, um, that it really has a lot of problems dealing with uh, making wise decisions, with handling impulses. Um, that's always been true. Um, the teen brain matures from the back to the front. Back of the brain is, you know, sex drives, passion, uh, wanting to be cool, risk-taking. Um, so that's all in the back. The front of the head uh, gets matured last. The, the, the right. wiring there doesn't exactly. finish up until the mid-20s, yeah. So it's kind of like having this enormous race car with a monstrous engine and no brakes to know right. when to hit the power and when to lay off. That's always been true, though. See that you know the neurology right. is not new. That's you know historically true. What has changed is the culture around our kids has changed, and the delivery method of the culture has changed. Meaning, one, the culture now pretty much promotes sex, drugs, and certain forms of violence uh, to a, a degree we've never promoted it before. Now, there's always been those tendencies. What has really changed is the electronics. The delivery system for these, we call them cultural prompts, has gotten really sophisticated. In essence, we've handed nuclear weapons to terrorists, and we're pounding kids with these prompts, which are affecting their behavior and putting them in situations they can't think their way out of for a variety of reasons, and thus, you know, anxiety and depression, you know, are, are the result of, no-win situations for people. Yeah, I mean, God, Michael, so much that you're saying is triggering in my mind different different images and different thoughts. That I want, you know, uh, in in terms of reaction, um, I, I think the technology piece of this is so is so important to, to discuss, and we could, you know, maybe even a later date talk about it, drill down on that. I mean, it seems to me that, and I wonder what you think about this. I see. You know, I do a lot of evaluations of kids, and, you know, I I call it boy malaise, where there's kind of like this boy malaise around things like reading. And and I'm generalizing, of course. You know, I'm I'm, I'm broad-stroking, so I'll continue broad. So... But what I see is that the girls, frankly, are kicking their rear ends, and on average, and are willing and able to tough it out and read books where the boys, and I'm seeing, I saw this in my personal life as well as with kids I see all the time. They don't necessarily have to have a learning disability to be in this category, although that's adding to it, where by, let's say, fifth grade, they decide, I'm done. It's like they put on a thick raincoat relative to you know, um, reading, doing those kind of activities, and it's just YouTube all the time. What are you seeing? Absolutely. And, you know, boys and girls, again, historically have been different. But I think that the current culture uh, really exponentially magnifies those differences where boys, you know, all boys are hyperactive to some extent. They're, you know, they're all ADHD compared to the girls. However, you know, when you take that tendency and then you stick a screen in front of that face with that tendency and entertain it for 18 hours a day with, you know, 
uh, all the colors and the action and the sounds. It, it's it's almost like exposing them to methamphetamine in utero. Uh, I see the same right. thing. I, I'm not a, a you know I don't do what you do with the evaluations, but I do deal with the kids, and they yeah. simply can. These boys often cannot sit still. Um, yeah. They simply cannot attend to a task. I think the girls are wired differently. There, you know, there are other examples. As I said, something comes to mind. You know, I had two kids, have two kids, and they're now out of high school. And I would say that within an eight-year span, maybe the phone rang in our house. I don't know, twice, maybe. Mm-hmm. Do you remember as a kid, Michael, where you'd call your friend, and the annoying parent would get on, <laughs> "Oh, hi, Michael. How are you? How's you know, how's your family?" And you'd have to converse with the adult before speaking to your friend. Well, I wonder yeah. what. You know, what's the effect? And so the technology now removes the, pers- the, the, the kid's ability, in a sense, to practice, you know, that social, even if it's small talk communication that takes place within our, you know, social interactions, and the technology removes that. So, well, you know, they bypass the middle person and go right, you know, call, the, call their friends on cell phones. What's, are, you, are you concerned about that? Do you see that? What's your feeling? Uh, very concerned about it, and there's some initial research coming out on that subject. They, I think they call it the uh, vacancy at the dinner table. Um, yeah. That uh, in the old days, because there wasn't much else to do, kids would hang out at right. the table. This is sort of a right. metaphor for the experience. Mm-hmm. And they would mm-hmm. listen, uh, listen to the adults talk, and they, they would learn a lot. But they would learn to be quiet and absorb information from other people, take notes about how uh, adults are different. There was a hell of a lot of learning that occurs in that in vivo, you know, real-world experience. Today, parents say their kid will come down, wolf the dinner, and head back to the screen. And we do not think that screens can uh, replace the in vivo interactions yeah, yeah. in a way that helps kids cope with their world as adults. You know, apropos of that, yeah. I'm just I'm opening to your your book is great as I said before when things get crazy with your teen the why and how and what to do now it's been out for a couple of years but it's very relevant but it's interesting how some things start to age out a little bit and I turn to page 132 which um, for those of you listening you know the book is broken down to like sort of topics that kind of grab you so this one is under uses excessive uses uses excessive use of computers um and your advice was to you know know that your child's computer is your kind of old corner you know a a place that it's like where you used to hang out with your friends that's where they used to kind of be but uh you know keep the computer in a public or semi-public area and allow the computer privacy in relation to your teen's level response so you have advice about the computer and what, what struck me was it's great advice the problem is this is already an old technology that most kids are are not even effectively on the computer right now and so they're going to beat you with you know because the phone is going to certainly trump the computer so you know it's have you updated the advice in that regard yeah. well you could just you could just replace <laughs> computer with smartphone because they are computers. yeah but it's like but they you know but you said like keep it in a public place so would you still be giving that advice what do you tell your parents now what are you what are you telling them with this stuff well a lot of us in this field rich feel that uh access to um, that whole concept, be it, uh, be it computer or smartphone, should be viewed like uh, driving a car. Right. Uh, we've seen so much uh, downside 
And there's a lot of upside to the electronics, but we see so much downside with younger kids. We now say, okay, these have to be highly restricted. Um, you have to get good software. We can talk about that in a minute to be sure that you are governing uh, where your kid is is getting on the internet, how they're using social media, and so forth. Uh, we say, don't give your kid a, a phone until they've got a gun to the side of your head. You hold out to the final moment. And then when you give them the phone, be sure it's not smart. It's a dumb phone. And you let the kid gradually learn how to use the technology, you know, not just the the buttons, but rather the concept of Internet, of social media, and so forth. And you're supervising them the way you would if they were learning to drive a car. So we feel there should be a gradual permit. Yeah. yeah, there should be education that's required, like driver's ed, which is where you say to the kid, look, this is what you're liable to see out there. And then, uh, you know, supervised use where the parent is able to see what the kid is saying and yeah. doing. And then when they're ready, you say, okay, you're ready to solo. By the way, most of the people in this business of working with teenagers say maybe that should be 16. And, I, you know, most parents are saying, are you kidding? You know, my, my kid has total access at 10 or 11. Yeah. But we have a whole other batch of data showing pathology we didn't even think could occur that's occurring as a result of the Internet. For example, sexual fetishes with yeah. adolescents have exploded. And I don't want to disgust your viewers with what we're seeing, but <laughs> truly bizarre stuff. That, well, you, you, wonder, know, I, you wonder the effect. Yes, I mean, I was actually wanted. This was one of my trigger thoughts before when you were kind of introducing some of the concepts that it, it's somewhat like Fantasia. You know, you, you're great with using imagery, and I like to use imagery too, metaphors. So it's like Fantasia, where Mickey Mouse has the powers that the wizard has, and it's like, ooh, he can't handle it. You know, it's like, wow, too much, too soon, kind of thing. And yes, yeah, and I've had kids talk to me about. You know, they're pretty frank about their porn use, and I'm sitting there on the other side of the desk going, whoa, you got exposed? Like, they Concepts <laughs> that I only learned about later in life, um, you know, that you, that you as an adult, in a sense, have some privileges to kind of start to kind of understand, you know, and they're talking to you about things that are just it's so, you know, because it's totally available to them, even if the parent feels that they're kind of monitoring some of it. So, they're, you know, what they're exposed to may be so overwhelming, which then leads to what you were just referring to. And we now have, um, you know, as of two years ago, 30% of the porn addicts, uh, young adult addicts, are female. Now, we didn't think females were hardwired to, to do porn. They never were historically. Yeah. But what has changed, not not the brain and certainly not females in general, the culture has changed with the electronics. So kids get exposed to this bizarre presentation of, of sex, of sexuality, at 8, 9, 10 years old, right. where they see this stuff. It becomes literally neurologically traumatic. It gets burned into their brain. And then they walk into my office at 16 with a fetish I, I won't even describe to you, and saying, you got to get me to stop doing this. I hate it. It's disgusting. But I am compelled right. to do this. Wow. This is all new territory we've never seen before. Yeah. Hmm. I'm just like, wow. <laughs> so that, that's the bottom line. Yeah, We're yeah, saying yeah. we've got to roll yeah. the clock back and say, no, you don't hand a kid a smartphone at age 10 and say, good luck, enjoy. 
This is like I driving totally a car. I totally 100% agree. I t- 100% agree. And I think parents out there, we, there's got to be a little bit of a waking up to this stuff. I would encourage it um, for all these reasons. I mean, I was watching, I happened to be watching last night the Titanic, and I reflected on, it was on, you know, as a rerun, and I was reflecting that it, was, it caused a, a, a rift, in a sense, in our family life at the time, because my then nine-year-old daughter, all of her friends were getting to see the Titanic, and we were, we were my, my wife and I were not particularly controlling, I don't think, but we, we thought it was inappropriate for a nine-year-old. There's sex scenes in it, there's violence, death, people, bodies floating in the water, the whole range. And last night I was kind of patting myself on the back a little bit, going, you know what, that was a good call back then, even though it caused a, a fair amount of grief. It's just a, and that was a while ago, you know, that was before all this stuff. So I mean, I think it's in line with what you're talking about, right? This whole idea of wake up, parents, don't don't feel you got to indulge, scratch that itch, whatever it is of indulgence to keep them, you know, in the in the social mix, so to speak, right? Absolutely, and that's the third part of this perfect storm. When you ask me what's different. Is yeah. that as parents, we've been caught off guard by this. Understandably, we're not lazy or inattentive, incompetent. We may be, but that's all right. I'm just sorry. Just, <laughs> we may be. I wouldn't cut that much of a, of a pass so fast, but all right, go ahead. I'll let but you off the on that. You know, I, I am ex-military, so I use those metaphors a lot as well. This, we're fighting this war with the rules from the last. It doesn't work. You know, you have to, you know, learn about your enemy, about the context, and, you know, revamp your whole approach. You know, we use the concepts of mission strategies and tactics when I you know, teach yeah. parenting seminars, and it very much applies. So parents have to become educated. Parents are not going to go out there and, and look at, you know, uh, uh, websites of porn and diaper sex. Uh, you know, right. it's not something right. that appeals to most adults, but their right. kids are looking at it. So you need to say, oh my God, this isn't the war that I thought it was, and I have to change up my parenting style, which is a whole other uh, yeah. week long yeah. show. <laughs> yeah, right. We could just, when, especially when the coffee kicks in, we could absolutely go on for the whole week on this one. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I teach parenting classes as well, and I think that the con, you know, that the refrain from my end is, you know, not negotiating with terrorists, so to speak, you know, not yeah. indulging this stuff and setting some very clear limits. Not control, and that's that art of the of the limit and the boundary with these kids. Um, and I think that you know, as I age up, also, and I'm not sure if you're having this experience, the you know, you're also getting parents now who are very much, you know, digital natives, so to speak. So people in their, let's say, mid-30s, you know, um, raising kids. And, they're, you know, they were brought up on video games. And so they're, to them, it's like, oh, it's a big deal kind of thing. So there's a whole yeah. different, although, although many of them are worried and thinking that, you know, they, they shouldn't have played as many video games and they now want to limit their kids. So it's, it's, it's very interesting to see the younger parents coming up now. And it's similar with marijuana. A lot of parents are yeah, not absolutely. Kids smoking weed. But what the mm-hmm. parents smoked was maybe 10 milligrams. Their kid could be doing 50 to 90. It's not the same drug. So all of these things have become much more concentrated in their power and their ability to hurt kids. I, a family I worked with over you know, on and off for four years, they were in a war about the girl had to have access unrestricted to the Internet. A similar battle everybody has, 
and it went on and off. And the parents held firm, and they really did this process of regulating and overseeing. And uh, in the last session, the, the girl kind of laughed at the end of one exchange, and she said, mom said, well, what would you do differently? And the girl laughed, and she said, oh, I'd never be as liberal as you were with me, with the Internet. Mm. And this is after the kid goes to war. So wow. there's, the kids do le- learn, and their job is to push the limits and demand yeah. more and more freedom. And the parent's job is to lovingly say no, firmly and lovingly. However, it's not enough just to control their behavior, and that's where it gets really difficult, as you know, teaching this stuff and being a parent. Yeah. You have to help them learn to control themselves, not just control them. So the other trick is, exposing them to this stuff in appropriate doses and helping them develop the skills to respond to their culture and flourish in it. So I think what I'm hearing you say is that you really you're trying to have to help them to develop a kind of internalized kind of guiding mechanism we might even call it something like a conscience something a voice in your head that says mm, maybe I should stay off that right now that kind of thing. Exactly we say you know, the old war, you used to be able to police a child's environment. My father. When you say old war, can you just clarify that just slightly for me? Wait, I, know, I think I know what you mean, but just please clarify that a little bit. When most of us were growing up, yep. back in those days, you know, uh, 50 years ago, 40 yep. years ago, yep. you, you could police a child's environment. My father smashed my Doors album, and that was the end of the Doors <laughs> influence over me and my gangster friends. You should have been listening to the Stones anyway. Listening. You should have been listening to the Stones. You know, that's what you should no, have been you listening call to. call it devil's music. You know. yeah, so, yeah. And it worked because, you know, in 67, nobody mm-hmm. in southwest Philadelphia had the money for the album. Right. And they didn't play those terrible cuts on the radio. They used to have decency laws. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. today, to try to control your kid's behavior is a losing strategy. You do what you can to limit their exposure at young ages. More importantly, you have to decide your mission is to teach the kid to control herself, and that means going after her belief system, not shutting down her electronics necessarily. But as she gets exposed to stuff, you have to start talking with them to try to help them develop values because the safe kid in the park when the drugs come out is not the one who says, oh, I can't smoke up, the old man will kill me. The safe one is the one who says, eh, I don't do that stuff, thanks, I'm, I'm out of here. How do you get there? That's like yeah. getting at their belief system. I also encourage, and I would like to hear what you think about this, I encourage parents to, in effect, let kids make choices. And I don't mean democratic, like, oh, it's just a liberal democratic approach to this. You know, but, you know, make, you have two choices. You can, here's a good choice and a bad choice. You make a bad choice, these, you know, hopefully the consequence isn't so dire. But here's, this is the effect, this is the impact that your choice has made. You know, like, you made that choice, well, now you've got to live with it for a while because you made a bad choice. I mean, I think that's really impactful on the kid, and, and, it, and it helps to kind of, you know, keeps the conversation going among the parents. Like, okay, well, what were those choices? What you, what's, your, what's your sense of that? Oh, a real important topic. Uh, we we tell parents, uh, you know, the, the mantra is a good decision made poorly is not as valuable as the bad decision made well. Meaning yeah, yeah. that if you jump in and you tell your mm-hmm. kid what courses she's going to take yeah. and how she's going to yeah. respond to the friend that ditched her, uh, yeah. that may be a good decision, and it was a poor one because the kid learned nothing. 
So you're right. If it's non-lethal, if it's not going to kill them, wherever you can, you hand the power to the kid. You might yeah. say, these are yeah. my thoughts, but, hey, you got to decide. This is your friend, so good luck. Because it, 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 win, yeah. lose, or draw, the kid will learn in doing that, which will help her make the next decision. It sounds like we're really drinking from the same fountain in terms of our thought process on this, and, and, and like you know maybe our influences and who we've been reading. But you know, I even started very young. Like I'm dealing with a mom right now who's had a very challenging four-year-old, and you know the kid doesn't want to get dressed, and he doesn't want to do you know the usual. And for a little kid, I'm talking about, and I'm like encouraging the mom to say, look. Which would you rather have, happy mommy or or not unhappy mommy? You you have a choice, and not to get all emotional, reactive, punishing to the kid, but just say, you have a choice. You know, you can get dressed, and we'll make it to the birthday party. I'm real happy to miss the birthday party because I've been to lots of birthday parties in my life. It's your choice. <laughs> now, which which do you want to pick? And and like exactly. really put it on the four year old to make that pick because that to me sets the stage for. What we're talking about is 17, when the keys to the car thing. Hey, you want to drive the car? That's great. But here are the cho- you know you have a couple of choices. You want to be in at a reasonable time and not be you know abusing privilege, or or pick the other. You know. Absolutely, and the idea is to be sure that you set it up. You try to outline the consequences. Look, if this happens, I think that'll happen. And if you choose this, this will happen. Good luck. I'm rooting for you. Then when the stuff hits the fan and the kid wants you to bail them out, you say, wow, that looks like that hurt, but you're going to have to talk to the neighbor about running over their mailbox. That that was your decision, not mine. Um, And you're going to have to find out how much it costs to fix it. No, I'm sorry. I'm not going to bail you out. The other thing we see with parents, Rich, is a lot of them, a lot of us, don't want our kids to, quote, suffer like we did. Yeah, we say, you know, oh, it was so hard. We didn't have any money, and you know, we always had raggedy clothes and wrong shoes. And we think that we're helping our kids by protecting them from any form of stress or conflict. And in fact, I believe we disable them by doing that. And it's yeah. another piece of the puzzle why anxiety and depression has exploded as our culture has gotten wealthier, relatively speaking. That kids do not typically suffer as much as we did, but we learned a lot through the suffering. We built something called resilience, which is the magic of helping kids get through this time. I interviewed a while back, he sounds like somebody who you may have read, I don't know, his name's John Roseman, the psychologist who sure. puts a lot yeah. of these parenting principles out. I had him on the show. You know, he talks about an old school concept, which I think is part of what we're talking about, which we, I think we've also lost the art of a little bit. I'd like to hear your take. And, and he talks about letting kids, you know, stew in their juices. And a lot of parents don't even yep. know what that means anymore. So, you know, like yeah. letting the kids feel, feel, literally feel bad about the choices that they made, not where they're crushed, but that they kind right. of go, ooh. I've got to, you know, because I remember that feeling with my parents. I made lots of bad decisions, as you alluded to in your bio. You know, it's like it's like we were squeaky clean by any stretch. And it's so, but you, you felt bad that you let your parents down by that choice. And if you don't feel that, then that's going to be the, that's not going to, there's not going to be a learning in that for the for future behavior. They I, have I to wish I had a Absolutely. And and parents are saying they don't want their kid to feel guilty. They don't want them to experience shame. It turns out those things are are very therapeutic experiences. I've had so many kids, I wish I had a dollar for everyone that said this, you know, what's the worst thing your parent could do to you? You know, hit you, scream and yell. 
virtually everyone says the worst thing my parent could do is to say, I, I really feel disappointed. Yeah, oh, you know, God. I'm really sad. Oh. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it was like, don't do that. Please punch me in the face. Yeah. Don't tell right. me you're dis- So, yeah. God yeah, forbid yeah, my dad least. said that to me. Right. If my dad had said that, I'd be like, oh, my God, I let my father down. I mean, that, you know, we really, it's like, oh, my God. You know, I could still feel it, you know. Um, but guilt is a, is a healthy uh, experience because it usually is saying, you just screwed up. You better think about it because well, you know, betrayed a value. Unfortunately, I think psychology, you know, has, you know, and, and you're a member of APA and all that stuff. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, psychology in some ways has sold the bill of goods to parents, I think, a little bit about overly emphasizing self-esteem, self-concept, um, uh, you know, not feeling guilt. When the, You know, I'm not sure how that's played out. I think it's it's been a disaster. You know, it, it's the, the, we also don't allow our kids to fail. When my son was in uh, uh, seventh grade, uh, eighth grade, you know, he's of course he's he's the genius in the family. He decided he wasn't going to do social <laughs> studies because it was a government conspiracy. <laughs> mind smart, control. Right? I'm not making this up. Yeah, yeah I'm sure so, you're not. You know, so my wife, who's you know also an adolescent specialist, uh, we looked at each other. He said, "I'm not doing my homework. I refuse to participate." And we looked at each other and said, okay, you do understand what right happened. Ahead. He said, yeah. And we said, fine. the end of the semester, the teacher called us in and said, you have to have a conference. And he was the teacher was terrified. He said, if I do this by the numbers, I'm going to have to give Ross an F, but I wanted to consult with you guys first. And we looked at each other and said, hey, you know, give him the F. And the teacher said, in nine years of teaching, you're the first set of parents that right. did not argue for a better grade for the child. And that was a lightning bolt moment for me, like, oh, my God. You know, what is a kid learning if we go in and sure. bail them out and get them to see? It's like I it's like I was – my kid's a little older now, too, but I was a couple of years ago praying that he would get a speeding ticket. <laughs> it's like, okay, Mr. Arrogant, you, I can't wait for you to get a speeding ticket. I just – you know, that kind of thing. I hope it's a huge. Oh man. <laughs> so so and in, in the waning, this is you know I'm really enjoying the conversation. In the waning moments of our interview, uh, you make some really interesting. I don't. I can't. I think we'll 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 kick more around at a later date if we can. But you know you 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 have kind of what I think in the back of the book kind of guidelines. I I saw them as guidelines, and. There's a whole list. I'm not going to go through all of them right now. But one, I think what you've been talking about, and, and this is something I try to get across to parents. You say something like, use consequences, not punishments. Like, I try to get across to the parent that we're not, because they'll say, oh, I took the phone away. It doesn't work. Or I took that away. It uh, doesn't work. Right. And I said, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, to me, punishment is always a reactive kind of, bang, I'm going to get you, boom, you know, that kind of thing. And then the kid gets right. angry and there's no learning. And it seems to me that it's yep. something else, and I think you're talking about that in your book. Oh, it's, yeah, it's rule number one. Yeah, punishments don't work. Everybody knows that. If you don't believe it, go visit a prison sometime. And everybody agrees, right wing and left wing. Everybody says it ain't working. So punishment is when we hurt somebody for being hurtful. What that does is it generates rage in the person, and all they're thinking about is what an SOB the parent is. They're just 
focused right. on you took away this thing I love. Right. So they're focused on you animal. as the a-hole, right? They're kind of saying to themselves, oh, my parents, they're not saying it out loud, but they're kind of, I always get the sense that when I was, in effect, going to take something away from my kid, that the, that the kid is going to go, oh, you're such an a-hole. You know, that kind of thing. Is that what you, oh, you know? Oh, exactly. They're, they're, right. Right? And they're not, they're not thinking about their behavior. They're thinking about right. you. I, in the book, I talk about be the dispassionate cop. An angry yeah, cop I was just gonna terrifies you. That, yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah, and roughs you up because you go through a stop sign. He's got you enraged about the police department, and you know you're you're. He's justifying your next offense. You're going to strike back. The same with teenagers. Be like the quiet, respectful cop. He gives you the ticket, but he seems to be on your side. He's saying, you know, hey, Rich, go through stop signs, man. You're going to get killed. It's not worth it. Here's God, I ticket. love that. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope your the rest of your day is better than this. Who do you get mad at with the second cop? Yourself. You're pissed off at Rich. That's the trick we have to pull off with kids. So we set up a consequence system saying, hey, you know, if just to let you know, if you drink at a sleepover, can we agree? You're telling us you're not ready for that level of freedom because the stuff can kill you. And you pre-agree upon that, if at all possible. And then the kid says, fine. He goes out, he drinks, comes home. What do you do? Not scream and yell, take his phone. Say, oh, we're going to have to retire the sleepovers for about three months. And, you know, we agreed on that. And maybe we'll try it again. The kid says, what, I can't have sleepovers? And you say, absolutely you can. We're not trying to punish you. We're just trying to help you understand there's consequences to behavior. You've told all of us you're not old enough to have that level of freedom. Have the sleepovers at our house. We'll buy the pizza. And then your kid says, they won't come to our house. Gee, why is that, honey? So yeah. you set up a system where you put the power in the kid's hand to determine right. his future. That's the key. So if he decides well, great. If he decides poorly, that's great, too. That's so good, too, because that removes the control battle, right? It's removing exactly. the control battle. That's where the – I think that's where all – not all, but most of – uh, the issues are these uh, kind of clashes over control. It also reminds me a bit of the parent, because I'm very invested in, or I'm invested, but involved with the parenting with love and logic kind of approach, which is, kind of, you know, mm-hmm. empathy, where you're kind of saying, look, I feel bad about it. That's right. what I think with the, with the calm cop. I mean, could you demonstrate that it's like feeling bad, but, see, I'm, I'm, I feel bad I have to write you this ticket, but you're going 90 in that neighborhood, and that's a, that's a problem, and hopefully you'll have a nice day because I feel bad for you, but, that kind of thing. How would you, de- in, a, in a brief way, demonstrate that you sort of did, but be a calm cop? Like, how put that in really concrete terms, you know? Well, that's with where, a parent. again, yeah, you... you you go out in the garage and scream and yell and punch the right. wall to get your rage out because we all feel personally offended when our kid screws up, you know, because then we feel like a failure. How can you do this to me sort of thing? That ain't the deal. you got to be like the cop. The cop is saying, look, this isn't my life, my world. This is your world. I'm just trying to help you survive it. So you go back in and deal with your kid and saying, you know, here's the choice you made. This is the outcome as we agreed upon and when the kid screams and yells, that's not fair, you say, yeah, I get that. Yeah, this is tough. I, I know you love going out on weekends. You know, I'm really sorry about that. But you'll do better. I know in three months when we, you know, you're allowed to go out again to the sleepovers, I know you're going to do great. You're a great kid, a smart kid. Well, let me go next week. Can't do that, son. I love you too much to let you be in a dangerous place that you're not ready to handle yet. If I love yeah. you less, maybe I'd do that. But I don't. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, great stuff. I knew you'd be a wonderful guest. It was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Um, Mike, talk Just about how I'm people can get. I'm sorry. Just because I'm from Temple? Exactly. An owl, a fellow <laughs> owl. <laughs> um, t- Mike, tell tell anyone listening how to get to your website. Oh, just uh, punch in www.docmikebradleybradley.com. DocMikeBradley.com. I'd like to have you on in, in the future, near future. We could, we'll go through a lot of the other points, maybe some of the other books. I think there's so much here to talk about. We, like you said, we could have gone a week with, uh, you know, talking about a couple of them. I think so. Really, thank yeah. you for coming on. Um, those of you listening, you can also visit my website, which is www.shutdownlearner.com, and please visit the coffeeclutch.com. There's um, so many different guests and and talks there so thank thank you everyone and again mike thanks i hope to talk to you soon and we'll we'll go from there